we give all of our affection and attention and devotion to you, God. We love you, God. We love you. We thank you for today. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice. We will be glad in it because you are here with us, among us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Amen, amen. It is good to see you. What a funny Sunday today. The weather's kind of weird today. <laughs> it's going to be rainy, and then it's going to get cold. Oh, man, it's crazy. Well, it's good to be here. It's great to be in the house of the Lord together. Amen? Amen. So today's my fourth Sunday back from sabbatical. And uh, I don't know if I've mentioned it enough, you know, that how much of a blessing it has been to me. I don't know. Have I been mentioning that to you? It has been such a tremendous blessing, and let me tell you, it hasn't stopped being a blessing just because I'm back. It's, it's continuing. It's ever-increasing. And so I just want to, again, thank you, church, for the investment that you made in your pastor. Um, God's doing incredible things, and it's continuing even after the sabbatical. It's amazing. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks back that I want to, you know, really my desire is to be able to share with you a lot of the revelations that God gave me while on sabbatical. There's been a lot, and actually it's not stopping. There's more. God is revealing more, and it's like the, the effects, the blessing of the sabbatical is continuing still to this day, and it's been just a, a profound, it's just been a profound season for, for myself and our family, and I believe for Trinity as well. Um, God's been showing me what, not only about myself and our family, but also about our church, also about what God is up to today, right now, the things that he is doing in our region, the things that he wants to do in this nation, pouring out his spirit. There's going to be a season of revival that we are walking into. I believe God is doing that right now. And so it's an exciting time for us to live in. And so I want to be talking about all of this stuff. And so uh, the last few Sundays, uh, we've been talking about this topic of getting back to God. You know, that's what the sabbatical really was for me. It was a time set apart to get back to God, making him the focus of all my life, my, my attention, my devotion, everything focused on God being the center. And, and that's what we've been talking about the last few Sundays in, in sermons about repentance, because we talked about how repentance is the road back to God. And, and last Sunday, we talked about some of the roadblocks that we have uh, generational roadblocks, generational consequences, and so on. But let me tell you something. For those of you who are here, um, the sermon, I believe it's going to be on the website. If not, it already is or it will be on the website. I want to encourage you to listen to it. Maybe listen to it again. Listen, I believe that God can break whatever generational consequences there might be in, in our lives, that it can stop and we can, we can declare, just like it says in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it stops now. I believe last week when we took that time to repent and say it's done now, it will not move forward to the next generation. That's exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. We're going to stand firm on the promises of God that Jesus paid for our sin. That Jesus paid for, he dealt with that. And when we come to that place of repentance, we can actually stop the generational curses, the generational consequences from moving forward. Because here's the thing about God. It says in the word that God 
gives steadfast love to a thousand generations of those who love him. I believe that began for many of us last Sunday when we declared, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and it will not go forward. And so we've been talking about that. So today I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to start a two-part discussion uh, called Christ in Me. And to start, I want to look at a passage in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, It's called the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Don't worry if you don't have your Bible with you. It will be up on the screen. I like to read from the ESV. um, But this is what it says. I'm going to read from uh, verse 15 to 27. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 27. And this is what it says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you indeed, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his own body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The title for my message this morning is The Dwelling Place of God. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to our path. God, we honor and esteem your word. Your words contain life and light. And God, we need to hear from you this morning. God, would you open our hearts and our ears, our spirits to receive from you fresh manna that will give us strength to live this life to the glory of your name. We love you, God. We love you. Use this servant of yours. Anoint my lips, God, that it would bear your fruit 
and fruit that will last. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. This passage that we just read is probably one of the most eloquently worded passages in in the whole New Testament. I mean, it's up there with John chapter 1, verse 1 to 15. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That whole passage, it's so eloquently worded. It's like poetry. You know, the Holy Spirit is a poet. He's super creative. He's a writer. And he inspired the writers to write that way. And John chapter 1, verse 1 to 14, it's a beautiful, isn't it beautiful? How it's worded, it's beautiful. Throughout the ages, people have been marveled by it. And this, Colossians 1, 15 to 27, is like that. It is so eloquently worded. It's carefully worded to describe who Jesus is and how he is Lord. That's what, talks, that's what Colossians 1, 15 to 27 talks about. Now, I want to look at this first part. It says, Paul describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, in the Greek, that word is ikon. I think that's where they get the word icon from. Ikon is the word for image in Greek. And that word means likeness. Now, to give you a picture of what econ means, okay, it's like, suppose you're, you're at a lake and it's like a calm morning. Isn't it beautiful? When you're out in nature, there's a lake, the water is like a mirror and you see the trees that are surrounding the lake and the reflection of the trees. It looks like the trees are growing up and down. Do you know what I'm talking about? The tree, the reflection of it in the water is econ. It's the exact representation of the tree. Or suppose you're looking at yourself in the mirror. You see your reflection looking back at you. You're looking at your reflection. Listen, that's the exact representation of you. What Paul is saying in Colossians 15, 1 verse 15 is this, that Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. He is the exact representation. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God. That's talking about Jesus. And is the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Jesus is the exact imprint of God. If you want to know what God is like, who God is like, You look at Jesus because Jesus is the exact representation of God. Now, in verse 19 of Colossians 1, it says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. The word dwell in Greek means to reside in, to live in, to settle in. God was pleased to fully dwell in Jesus, in Jesus. Jesus Christ was the dwelling place of God. He was like a walking, breathing temple of God. That's, what, that's who Jesus was. 
the one in whom God dwelled. Now, the dwelling of God is a theme that you find throughout the Scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, from the beginning right to the end. The dwelling place of God, the dwelling of God is a theme you find throughout the Scriptures. In fact, you could say that the dwelling of God is God's ultimate plan for creation. That's why He created the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, all the creatures, the sea, everything in it, humanity. He created so that he could dwell among his creation. It's God's plan. It's God's plan. You can see it when you read Genesis that God dwelled with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day. Could you imagine what life would have been like if Adam and Eve didn't fall? You know, I think about that from time to time. When you see the stuff on the news, you hear about all the terrible things that are happening. What if he didn't eat that fruit? You know, what if? What would it be like to be in blissful union with our Creator? Total harmony with God and one another. That would be heaven, <laughs> literally, right? But we know that that's not how the story unfolds. Unfortunately, that's not how the story unfolds. Adam and Eve, they sin against God. They disobey. And because of that, because of that, they were banished from his presence. They were no longer in that place where they could simply dwell with God. They had to be banished. You know, this four-month sabbatical of the many things that were just an amazing blessing to us, probably chief among them was the the time that I got to spend with my family, focused time. Um, you know, for my first three kids, uh, I was busy in ministry for all three, busy in ministry, sometimes in ministry and working full-time. And so it was very hard to give that kind of focused time to Eden, to Lydia, even to Ezra. Um, and so for our fourth child, Junior, you know, the sabbatical is like, Total focus time, you know. Like the other three kids, they'd be in school, and, and Junior would be home, and she'd get our undivided attention. I mean, and I'd be fascinated. I'm like, man, this is the fourth time round, but everything's new again. Like, what's going on? Diapers? Oh, right? But just to see her, just the stages of development, seeing her, she could talk now. She can run now, and it's like, wow, just how amazing that is to see them from, like, not being able to walk to walking and running, not being able to say anything, just, glug, 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 just making noises to, to, to being like, hi, hi, you know, I'm like, wow, it's just, I'm, I'm there and I'm being able to, I'm able to witness this. And it's, it was just so great to be able to spend that much focused time. And we've developed this bond, Junior and I, very, very, very tight bond. It's really cool. Sometimes mom will pick her up and she'll be like, I, I want dad. And I'm like, that's never happened. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> wow, we have this really close bond, you know, and, and so, uh, yeah, it's just been so great. We recently joined the YMCA, and I don't know why we didn't do this earlier. I mean, it's fantastic. The YMCA is fantastic for families. There's so many programs for the kids and swimming lessons, and Allie and I can go work out, and we can be just active together, and so, you know, coming off sabbatical, really 
being at the Y is part of, it's like an extension of this focused family time, being together, you know, swimming and doing all this fun stuff together. Now, at the YMCA, there's this uh, program called the Play and Stay. And it's, it's like a nursery. So, Junia, we can drop her off there. And then we can go, Ali and I, we can go work out, we can go to the pool, whatever. And so, um, it's funny, I never realized how difficult it is to drop off your child in the nursery. Because I never had to do that here. I mean, I'm here. I'm up here preaching, getting ready for the sermon. Allie's the one taking our kids downstairs. But how many of you know what I'm talking about? Like parents, especially, you know, it's your first time. You're like, wait a second. I have to leave my kid with somebody else and then turn around and walk away? It's kind of a foreign thing, right, in your spirit. You're like, what? That just doesn't seem right. You know, I I actually witnessed that kind of almost for the first time with Junia. And so we're at the YMCA, and I I drop her off, and she's in the volunteer or the the staff lady's hands, and and she's like looking at me, looking at her, looking at me, looking at her. She's like, wait a second. This isn't right. (laughs) She starts crying, and I was like, oh, it's this just, oh, hurt. I was in pain. I'm like, I got to go work out, but I don't, now I don't want to go work out. Oh, man, look at her. She's crying. And she's, she's using the only word she knows, hi. She's like, hi, 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 hi. And I'm like, oh. And I had to turn around and walk away. It was one of the hardest things ever to do, okay? Because I just want to be there. I want to dwell with her, you know? Like, I just wanted to be there. It was very difficult for me to do that. I believe God felt that way too. Exactly, perhaps even more intensely than that when Adam and Eve had to be banished from his presence. I believe God ached when that happened. You see, in Genesis 3, when you read that story about Adam and Eve, it doesn't say it in words that God had this. But the rest of the chapters throughout the scriptures shows that God really wanted to dwell with his creation. And he did everything possible to make it happen. I believe God felt that way because he longs to dwell with us. Longs, aches like a parent. He's our heavenly father. I believe he felt that exact same thing. And so when you read the rest of the scriptures, you see God on this quest to restore the dwelling with his creation. And it begins by him choosing Abraham. And he's like, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a father of nations. Kings will rise from you. Your offspring will be my people. And so... He has a chosen people who will represent him. And he will dwell among them. And these people, the Israelites, they have quite the history, if you read about it in the scriptures. Very, very tough history. They're in slavery in Egypt for many generations. And then God comes in, rescues them out of slavery, and then brings them through the wilderness. And they go on a 40-year camp trip. Okay. How many of you have been camping? Could you imagine going for 40 years? <laughs> Kevin, yeah? 
Just give me a fishing rod and I'm good, brother. Yeah. Well, you know what you need when you go camping, right? You need a tent. And so God calls for his people to construct a tent in the wilderness. I don't know about you. When I read through the Old Testament, there are some exciting stories. Of course, in Genesis, when you read about the the stories in Genesis is very exciting. You get to Exodus. There are certain parts where you're like, oh, man, this son beget this son and this son and this son. You're just like, oh. And one of those oh parts is actually found in Exodus 25 to, to, to 31 and Exodus 35 to 40 where it's like this detailed, you know, description of how to c- construct the tabernacle, right? And everything in it, you're like, oh, you're reading all these details. But here's the thing. There were exact details that God prescribed to the Israelites, this is what I need you to do. You need to construct a tabernacle, but it's not an ordinary tabernacle. There's things that you need to do. There's an outer court with an altar where you put you, that's where you bring your sacrifices. There's an inner sanctuary, and in that inner sanctuary, there's two divisions. In the first one, there's the holy place. You just, you can't enter in there. Only priests can enter in there, and in order for them to enter in there, they had to be clean. There was a water basin just on the outside. They had to wash their hands. They had to wash their feet. They had to be consecrated. The word consecrated means to be declared righteous, to, de- to be declared clean. You had to be declared clean in order to enter the holy place. Behind that, there was a, a, a curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies. And that's where the presence of God dwelled. God, in order for him to dwell among his people, there needed to be layers of holiness in order for that to be possible. Holiness is a big deal. For God to dwell with his people, it's a big deal. They had to construct a tent with layers of holiness, and it was called the tabernacle. And when you read the Exodus account, it's a lot, a lot of words, and it's, you're, you're kind of reading every little detail, but it was so precise because it's a big deal. But also because God wants, wants, wants to dwell with his people. Some generations go by, and we come to King Solomon. He's the king after David son of David and Bathsheba. And you'll come to a passage in 1 Kings chapter 5 to 1 Kings chapter 8, and that is also details, but this time it's details of the temple. And so Solomon creates a permanent structure. See, the tabernacle, they had to take it down, they had to carry it to their next location and put it back up again. It was a portable temple, basically. A portable place where God can dwell. Well, Solomon built a permanent place, and that was the temple of God. The the description is very similar to the tabernacle. There had to be layers of holiness. The outer court, the inner sanctuary, it had the holy place. And behind that, divided by a curtain, was the holy of holies, and that's where the presence of God dwelled. And a priest could enter in there once a year, but he had to be consecrated. He had to be declared clean because, again, holiness, God's holiness 
is a big deal. And for God to dwell with his people, it's a big deal. But unfortunately, when you read history, that temple doesn't survive. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians came and destroyed that temple, utterly destroyed it. And so the presence of God had no place to dwell. Fifty years later, they created a new temple. That's the second temple. Fifty years later. And it was in that temple, that second temple, where Jesus came and walked in the midst of the people. It was in the second temple. But you see, when Jesus came, the presence of God wasn't in the temple like it was in the past. But the presence of God was in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus came to the temple, he represented the presence of God dwelling with his people. That's how it changed. Jesus was the presence of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus was the temple of God. In fact, he says in the scriptures, he's having this discussion with the Pharisees, hey, listen, guys, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. It'll be raised in three days. And they're like, what? What are you talking about, man? It took decades to build this. And they had no idea what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about his body, the temple of God, the place where God dwells. Colossians 1.19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All of God's fullness dwelled in Jesus. Jesus represents the presence of God. And so this dwelling of God, again, that's found throughout the scriptures, it begins in Genesis when God was with his creation, with humanity, with Adam and Eve, in the garden, walking with them. Then it moves, and we see that tabernacle being constructed, and there, there's God's presence again. Then it moves to the temple. And then it moves to the person of Jesus Christ. And Colossians 1 continues in verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish. And I love this. Free from accusation. Isn't that profound? What the death of Jesus Christ brings for us. Here's Jesus. He's the temple of God. He's the dwelling place of God. He's God in human form. He dies. He dies. And in fact, the gospel in Matthew 27, 50, it says that when Jesus died, it says this, he cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And then, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split. The temple, the curtain splitting was the curtain that divided the holy place from the most holy place, the holy of holies. The place where God dwelled, that curtain ripping represented 
that God was no longer hidden behind a curtain. When Jesus died, he was the body, the temple of God. When he was broken and bruised and pierced for our sins, the presence of God was now free. That is a mystery. And it goes on and it says in Colossians 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The problem of sin that separated us from God was dealt with because of what Jesus has done. He died for our sin, tearing the veil, and no longer is God's presence hidden behind a curtain. We become the dwelling place of God. That is a profound mystery. You see, Jewish scholars, Jewish seers, Jewish rabbis, they have been discussing for generations the mystery of God's unfolding plan. That's what this word mystery is talking about. God's secret plan. He's got a plan. He's going to fix all this. He's going to restore what the locust has eaten. He's going to restore the brokenness in the world. He's going to do it. And he did it through Jesus. Through Jesus, that sin-stained humanity could be declared righteous and clean. No longer through the sacrifice of bulls and goats and blood and fire and having a priest walk into a temple. No longer needed. Why? Because Jesus paid it all in full, completely. We become without blemish. We become, I love this again, free from accusation. Justified. I love how somebody put it. Justified means just if I'd never sinned. Only possible through the blood of Jesus for us. He died so that we might become the dwelling place of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? God longs, yearns to dwell with us. He has been on a mission to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's made a way. He made a way for that dwelling place to be a reality through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, his spirit is given to dwell in us. You know what that means, church? Do you know what that means? That means that God is with us all the time, every time. doesn't matter where you are. 
Doesn't matter, it's not just on Sunday when you're in a sanctuary in a church. That's not the only time. He's with you all the time, every time, in every season, in every circumstance that you go through in life. Doesn't matter. He's there. Whatever you need, whenever you need it, you have full access to God, the creator of the universe, who knows every detail about you, everything. He knows you. He knows the number of hairs that you have. He knows what you need. He knows the struggle that you're going through. He knows. He dwells in us. We can access the Father all the time, every time. You know, I remember in the Alpha Course, there was a really powerful illustration that Nikki Gumbel used about the president. But may, I'll use the prime minister for us, okay? So let's say, I, you know, this is what I, I don't really know our prime minister too well. Does he have kids? Yeah, he has kids, right? He's got two kids or three. How many kids does he have? Does anyone know? Four? He's got a few kids, okay? <laughs> now, suppose I were to want access to Trudeau. Man, it's just not possible, okay? Maybe on Twitter, maybe, if he tweets like Trump does, but I don't know. Maybe he does. Maybe. But I, I can't have access. I can't just go to his house, knock on the door. I probably can't even get to the front door. There's security. There's just, there's no way. But his child, he can cut through the security. He can cut through all the wires and all that stuff. No problem. And go right to daddy's door, right to the office, I'm sure. Don't have to knock on the, open the door and be like, daddy, what's up? Let's play. Why? Because he's a child of the prime minister. He has open access to his father. Listen, we have open access to God through Jesus Christ all the time, every time. No matter what, you can come to him. Say, God, I need you. And I know you are with me. And because of that, I will not fear. You are with me. Isn't that amazing? That is the mystery that the scriptures is talking about that has now been revealed. The very presence of God, Jesus Christ, in us, the hope of glory. Let's pray. I'm going to ask uh, Janelle if you can come. In a moment, we're going to have we're going to have communion. Um, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward in just a minute. But uh, I just want us to take a moment to reflect on the words that were spoken this morning. Just this amazing picture, this this beautiful truth that we heard. That Christ is in us. That we are the dwelling place of God. That God has made a way for us to have full, open access to his presence. I want us to just reflect on that for a moment. Before we partake in communion.
are the hope of glory in us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.